And now it is my pleasure to introduce the chair of the New York City Programs Committee and vice chairman of Cushman and Wakefield, Gus Field. Thank you, thank you. Um, so again, thank you all for coming as a, a, and as a, a event organizer. Your worst nightmare is waking up and it's snowing and icing and there are accidents on the Tappan Zee Bridge and um, so I'm really, we appreciate all of you being here. Um, I just read Thomas Friedman's new book, uh, Thank You for Being Late. And um, in the book, he talks about that we are in an age of accelerations. And one of the accelerations that's going on is that technology is changing at an exponential rate. And our ability, for the most part, to harness the change in technology is moving forward at an incremental rate. So, the, so we don't get crushed um, one of the things he talks about is that it's really important that all of us in this room um, participate in lifelong learning. The concept of going to elementary school, high school, college, and whatever degrees you get and stopping there just doesn't work anymore. Because if you stop, then you're going to get crushed. So um, to that end, that's sort of the mission of our programs committee is to, you know, help all of us learn. And um, Kevin, I'm going to ask you to come up um, on the stage. Uh, Kevin Shatoffman is with uh, Deloitte Consulting's um, real estate uh, 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 group. And um, uh, Kevin's been spending a lot of time uh, advising on how blockchain is uh, in, in, uh, impacting real estate. And Kevin, uh, the one thing that I'm going to ask you for my benefit is please talk in layman's terms, like just A, B, C's, one, two, threes. But uh, with great pleasure, uh, I'll, I'll give the floor to Kevin. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for braving the weather and coming here tonight. Uh, I'm from Texas, so when snow comes down, not only do we not show up for a networking event, but I mean the schools close, no one's going on highways, we don't even understand what inclement weather is. So this is, this is great to see a packed house. Um, thank you for giving me this platform to talk about a technology I'm very, very passionate about, a technology that is as buzzworthy as it is mystifying. A lot of people, when they hear the word blockchain, they think, Oh, yeah, yeah, I, my friend put $100 in Bitcoin, and now it's, well, yesterday it was worth 9000 and now it's worth negative 40 and I somehow owe money. Uh, so I'm going to do three things tonight. One, I'm going to try to explain what blockchain is and what blockchain is not. And the first part of that conversation is going to be why it is very different than the Bitcoins and Ethers of the world that you hear your friends putting money into. Secondly... I'm going to talk about why I think blockchain technology is relevant to the real estate industry, whether or not you are an owner-operator, developer, asset manager, service provider, or just a completely different corporate company that happens to own or rent real estate. And then third, I'd like to point out what you should do when you go into work tomorrow, what types of things you should look at at your business to see whether blockchain is actually going to be relevant to your company or the companies that you work with. So let's get started. 
So in a nutshell, uh, blockchain is really just uh, today's database 2.0. So most of you likely interact with some sort of database at your job. The difference being that you have to log into a portal. Uh, there's some group, probably in IT, that's controlling your access, that's controlling exactly what you see, controls what reports you can produce. Right? Instead, I want you to picture all of you have your computers in front of you, your laptops, your desktops at work. Every single one of those computers has the exact same level of access to see the entirety of data that's sitting on a blockchain. So think of it as a big general ledger. It has transaction histories, purchases, sales of assets, uh, movement of data between departments, any intercompany transactions you've done with uh, sister companies overseas, or working with HR, marketing, finance, et cetera. Everything you interact with and data that moves sits up there on a chain of blocks. On each block is either a transaction, purchase and sale of an asset, or internal transfer of data. So reconciliation, cash collection, rent bill collected. And that block has a unique identifier on it that's 32 characters long. Think of it like it's your username when you get online. Everybody can see it, but it's a very, very long, unique number that's randomized and alphanumeric. And that 32-digit character sits on the block of data that you just created, and then on the next block that appears creating a chain. So you have a long chain of transactions that are identified by these unique alphanumeric strings. Now, on the other side of that, I have a private 32-character string, my password, that only I know. Now, in today's world of computing power, if somebody that was maybe part of a nefarious criminal gang in Eastern Europe and wanted to hack my password that is only eight characters long and only letters, they could probably hack it in a couple days. So if you have only an eight-character password that's only letters, change your password. Okay. To hack a 32 alphanumeric string that is uppercase, lowercase, or numbers, it would take that same group 700 million years. So it's slightly more secure than whatever you're using today. Right. So once I've done this transaction that goes in, gets inputted on this blockchain, everybody in the room that has access to the chain will see it at the exact same time. And their computers will be solving a math problem that makes the chain run. This, the people that develop the blockchain create an algorithm. Your computer is solving this problem to verify that the transaction is legitimate. So every computer is doing this at the same time, and there is a consensus model. So at least half the computers in this room have to solve the problem and come up with the same result for that transaction to be approved and put onto the chain. So if I'm, let's go back to the hacking scenario here. If uh, I get a hold of your computer and I log in and I try to put a transaction that doesn't have the private key on it onto the chain, everybody else will recognize it doesn't match, this one thing is not like the other, it gets booted, the chain is protected. So because there's a completely decentralized model where everybody is validating on consensus, a blockchain is much more secure 
than any other databases you've been working with recently. Now, there are technically three types of blockchains. The first is completely public. Uh, when you read about Bitcoin or Ether, or any of these digital currencies, those are completely transparent and open to anyone who wants to open an account. The advantage to this is it's full transparency and anyone can hop in and hop out as they see fit. The problem is, as what's happened with these recent networks, they get overloaded. A ton of people are conducting transactions every second. The blockchains can't handle the volume and this big promise of settlement in seconds isn't actually happening, it's taking days. So on the complete other end of that spectrum, you have a private chain. So a centralized authority controls who can add transactions onto the chain and who has access to edit them. Well, I've got news for you. Uh, everybody in this room probably already operates a private blockchain. It's just called a database that you have at your company. And blockchain likely is not going to add a whole lot of value to you if you want that centralized model. So the Goldilocks, the, the happy medium in the middle, is a permissioned blockchain that balances some of the benefits of each. So let's say I am a vertically integrated, integrated global real estate company. I'm doing business across the globe in multiple countries. I'm transacting different types of real estate. Well, maybe I don't want my asset managers that are doing multifamily work to have the same access to data that my folks doing commercial real estate leasing are using instead. So those groups have separate sets of permissions, but among those groups, everybody can see everything on those transactions. So it combines the transparency of a blockchain with the advantages of some private permission use. So the blockchain itself is just one layer of what I would call a, a architecture, a full ecosystem of everything you're doing. When you actually create the blockchain, nobody other than the developers or IT is going to see the actual backend code. That's just one layer. On top of that sits the services layer. Where would I create and store a contract? Where would I have somebody go into a program like DocuSign and sign agreements to get a transaction done? That's the services layer. Then on top of that sits the application layer or the UI. So if I'm an end user, I'm an employee at the company, I log into the blockchain, this is what I see. I have just maybe three or four buttons that I need to press to get things done, like an app on my phone. I'm only seeing the easy, pretty user interface. Then on top of that is where most consulting firms usually make all of their money, the governance layer, which is all of the rules that need to apply to a chain. What strategy are we implementing? What, what problems is blockchain supposedly going to solve at my company or those who I work with? And what reports am I actually gonna pull out of that chain so that I can make operational investment decisions? Uh, just noticed there's like slide within a slide that's interesting, okay. Um, there are a lot of myths about blockchain and I'm really just gonna spend some time talking about two of them. One is, that they are completely cryptocurrency based. So, you know, why did blockchain start? Well, that's because some people wanted a, an authority, a, a way to make money that was away from central government. So they created this thing called Bitcoin. It was this new fancy currency that didn't have any underlying assets behind it, but it was this money that couldn't be tracked by governments. Uh, 
and we could give it away and people could earn it. And the way people earned Bitcoin was by doing something called mining. And that's what mining is, is you're just lending your computer to the network. The computer is crunching numbers, solving a math problem to verify a transaction in the system. And that computing power is costing you money because of your energy bills going way up to operate that computer. So what's your incentive to participate in the chain? Well, that's, in this case, Bitcoin or any other digital currency compensation you're receiving. So all of these new currencies have been created to try to incentivize people to join their chain instead of the other competitor down the street. My response to that is if you have a captive audience of 200,000 global employees and partners whose job it is to participate on the blockchain in addition to their other business, you no longer need cryptocurrency compensation. You might create a token for tracking purposes to give people uh, results of transactions, but you don't need to compensate them that way because they're already being compensated with whatever package you've uh, introduced at the firm. So not necessarily cryptocurrency based. Secondly, it's not going to solve all your problems. Okay? Blockchain is an amazing potential solution for real estate, but just building a blockchain is not going to change any data you put in the system that was bad data to begin with and immediately turn it into good data. So master data management, enterprise transformation, all those firms that Deloitte loves to use because that's how we make our money, uh, that, that's still important. And blockchain is just one component of a technology solution. So there are really two types of things that I think blockchains can do for real estate companies. The first is the storage and keeping of records. How do we take all the data that we gather and store it in a way that's easily accessible, transparent, and easy to analyze? I think blockchain will be able to do that, and I'll explain why later. And secondly, how can I transfer value, buy or sell an asset? quickly, efficiently, accurately, and securely. I think blockchain can help us do that. And one of the tools that the purveyors of blockchain have introduced to try to do that is called a smart contract, which is just business logic that determines how transfer of value might occur. Now, one of my colleagues has been doing blockchain for the last five years and might as well be you know, a complete veteran. He says that smart contracts are neither smart nor contracts. <laughs> and the reason he says that is, well, A, because today's real estate contracts, I think, are infinitely more complex than these standard transactions that most people who are basing this technology on are doing today. So it's not simply give me money, I give you this asset with no clauses whatsoever. That's, that wouldn't be a real real estate deal. right? So there are a lot of things that need to be thought about. Uh, that's my caveat for smart contracts. But in uh, the future utopia of a blockchain platform for real estate, most of the intermediaries that are participating in transactions will likely be involved up front during the writing of the contract, but then no longer need to be involved after the contract is initiated. So brokers are still going to be important to determine what elements need to be in the contract. Title companies will still be important because they still need to verify the initial title at the beginning. 
appraisers will still need to provide some sort of value at the very beginning. But once all of those assets are on a blockchain, correctly identified, correctly valued, correctly stipulated, once the agreement is signed, everything happens automatically and is machine readable. So instead of it taking 60 days to close a transaction once everybody's got proof of financing, it closes in six days or less. What does this mean? I'll get to the real estate implications in detail later, but my personal opinion is that if you can convince transactions to go from 60-day close to six, you can now convince brokers, title companies, appraisers, any intermediary to take a potential slight discount on their fees because now the volume can go way up. They can do a ton more transactions in the same period of time. Now, obviously, this is not without risk. Uh, we are in New York, after all. This is a very, very unique uh, real estate market with its own uh, regulatory requirements, uh, tenant protections, uh, different incentives for developing certain types of real estate in certain places. So there are a lot of regulatory frameworks that are going to have to be thought about as a blockchain is developed specific to New York real estate. And I think some folks are overlooking that because down in Texas, it's a little more laissez-faire. Uh, and I think once you enter the more complex markets, New York, San Francisco, uh, internationally, uh, that will rear its ugly head. So there's, there's a lot of governance and regulatory things to think about before implementing a blockchain. So how to do it. Um, there are three different ways you could structure a group that is going to develop a blockchain. Uh, one that exists a lot already today is the consortium model. Anybody who's been following blockchain likely has heard of R3. R3 is made up of JP Morgan, IBM, another number of other firms that are attempting to build uh, the platform that financial services companies are going to use. Consortiums are easy because you can just involve a new entity whenever they want to join, either by investing in your consortium or agreeing to certain data sharing requirements. I don't think that model is going to be realistic in the real estate world in a highly regulatory environment. So mostly, the model on the right, hybrid, is what you're going to see. Governing agencies are going to want to weigh in early and often as blockchains are developed. And that could be you know, local municipalities. That could also be New York state government. There's going to be a lot of negotiation, I think, over the next 18 months or so. So how will blockchain actually apply to real estate? Well, we need to think about some of the factors that are making real estate change so quickly and why it's ripe for innovation. Real estate as an industry, let's be honest here, has not always been the early adopter of new technology investment. We are typically slightly lagging behind. And there's a reason for that, right? There are a lot of people who have their hands in the cookie jar of a real estate transaction that uh, are happy with the status quo the way it is. You have usually about nine different intermediaries or counterparties involved in a real estate transaction. And if they could have things the way that it is now forever, that would probably be ideal. But as Gus alluded to earlier, 
it, it's not that technology is always changing. It's that in today's world, the pace of that change is so rapid that certain industries we thought were invincible are getting swallowed up and changed. I don't think we thought for a moment that taxi cabs in New York were going to get innovated on as quick as they did, but it happened. So real estate, it behooves us to get in front of this. Another reason I think real estate is ripe for innovation right now is because a lot of the devices that are going into the assets we build, whether that's in a hotel or an office building or a home or even an industrial development, all of those devices are beaming up to the cloud, connecting to each other, sending data, transmitting back and forth. And because everything is connected to the internet, all of a sudden you have this deluge of data that you need to work with and analyze in order to make quicker investment decisions. Well, what better way than a database that has all of it publicly available, transparent, and analyzable? So I've divided uh, real estate opportunities into what I'd like to call three buckets. Uh, the registry and data analysis of real estate the management of properties regardless of property type, and then the due diligence that has to occur with the acquisition or disposition of assets. The, the first issue, registry and data. So anybody who's ever been to uh, a land use office, uh, government office, can see firsthand with paper filing cabinets, long lines, how hard it is to get uh, a clear registry and land title. It is really, really tough to do. It takes a lot of work. Most of the time you're sending people, paying them $12 an hour just to file through endless files to get you a clear result, or you're paying a title company more money than you're comfortable doing because you need to know that a title is accurate. Well, over in Sweden, they are actually taking the entire country's land use database and they're going to try to put it on a blockchain. They've done it in one city thus far, and now they're expanding it countrywide. Well, if every parcel of land in Sweden is sitting on a blockchain, it's going to make the transacting of real estate much, much easier. So property management. Uh, oftentimes, real estate contracts can be complex, right? Not to mention, you base rent versus percentage rent versus CAM reconciliation costs. There are a lot of clauses that go into a contract and a lot of ways to get paid. And sometimes the parties don't always agree. And sometimes there are issues when trying to enforce a contract, both from the tenant side and from the landlord side. So if all of the elements of the contract were written into a blockchain where everything was extremely clear and transparent, not saying that all of the issues would go away, but you would then only have to worry about enforcing the 20% of issues that are truly complex versus the other 80% your employees are likely dealing with more often than they'd like. Well, what does that do for you? If they're only dealing with issues that are super complex and exciting, well, then they like their job more. Maybe there's better client retention. Maybe there's better employee retention. This is actually happening in the city of Rotterdam, who partnered with Deloitte and built uh, an entire mixed-use development. And every lease agreement 
is sitting on a set of smart contracts on a blockchain. Uh, that was done, I believe, third quarter of last year, and we're supposed to be getting a report in June how that's going. Obviously, I will report back if that's been a successful pilot. And if so, expanding that to uh, somewhere in the States. Lastly, uh, due diligence and regulation. So I'm sure there are folks in this room that have large real estate portfolios, and they are responsible for either finding the next great investment or the next great site in which to develop to operate their retail space. Uh, if it was easier to find the correct data, previous owner, rent rolls, performance, there are obviously some transparency and, and privacy issues there. But I think there's an opportunity to make the due diligence process easier so that you spend less time researching for the data you need and more time analyzing that data to make a real decision. Uh, ABM AMRO and, and IBM have developed, it says up here, they've developed a system. Uh, they're piloting a small um, concept in which all of their participants in a transaction work from a fancier version of a data room to share data and get to an investment decision much quicker. In addition to the larger scale uh, transactions and pilots we're seeing from a government perspective, there are a lot of startups in the real estate world that are trying to solve some of these problems. So B Landlord has created, it says block, blockchain technology, but it's really just a, a database to where anybody can sign up to be an individual investor that buys shares of a real estate portfolio. So mainstreeting the real estate investment opportunity. Ubiquity is a uh, software as a service provider that exists to make transactions happen quicker. So putting all of these land titles and deeds onto a blockchain, you sign up for the space that you're looking for, they do all of the searches on their blockchain, tell you who owns what, when, and can help you transfer title via a smart contract. Then lastly, uh, Proppy is a peer-to-peer -peer lending platform. So think uh, uh, Napster or one of those other music sharing services, but uh, for real estate information. So that instead of a disparate array of MLSs all across the globe, you have a single uh, shareable network with all of the real estate information that you're going to need. So how can you identify at your company what, when blockchain might be ideal? These are the five parameters listed on the screen. And all of them are important, but I would probably concentrate the most on number three, which is the trust issue. Uh, a lot of times we do things on handshake agreements because trust people. These larger, more complex real estate deals, they involve a lot of people, some who we've met before, some who we know by association, some who we don't know, and we don't necessarily trust. So if that is an issue, that automatically becomes a candidate for blockchain. Then the rest of the parameters kick in. How many people are writing on the data? How often is the data being shared, et cetera? As you go back to your companies and you start thinking about how you might evaluate what processes are eligible and ideal for blockchain, 
I would encourage you to have working sessions. Think about uh, when you're sharing data a lot, when a lot of people are participating in that data sharing, and what transactions or pieces of data sharing are slowing you down and preventing you from making money. You can always jump from there to testing implementation. Obviously, Deloitte has a whole methodology, as do probably many other firms that participate uh, in blockchain strategy. But I would just say this. When you're thinking about blockchain, imagine that anything in the world is possible. Have the entire environment of possibility in your mind. But then as you move forward to try something out, try very, very small at the edges. It's very easy to do a small pilot, fail fast, fail quickly, learn, and move on, as opposed to trying to plan this huge company-wide transformation that would acquire millions of dollars in investment and executive budget approval, et cetera. Start small and get some results and build a business case and, and work from there. Now, uh, despite it saying up there that there are 800 people at Deloitte who work in blockchain, the world of real estate is much smaller. As an industry, we lag a little bit. So this conversation, this group of people, you guys are at the forefront of, of blockchain and real estate. So with that being said, uh, no question is a stupid question. I would like to answer whatever you guys have from blockchain 101 to what cryptocurrency should I invest in to the weather, whatever you guys want to ask. I'm here. Sure. While monitoring a transaction or a transfer of assets, how, do, how does blockchain affect user um, mistakes? So uh, the, I would say the, the both great thing and potential problem with blockchain is that every transaction is immutable. Can't take it back. Once you do a transaction, it sits on the blockchain, it's there forever, there's an audit record. So if you notice that you have an error, you then have to introduce a new transaction that corrects that error. So there is a record of both the error transaction and the correction all in an audit trail. For better or for worse. Hi, I'm Nadine Chino. Thank you so much. That was informative and simple to follow. I appreciate it. Great. I have a question because I actually do a lot of work in blockchain already, and mm -hmm. I'm using it for uh, asset tracking in conjunction okay. with RFID. So we've been working with our engineers on a hash. Can okay. you explain that a little bit more to the audience, the value of a hash in the blockchain? Sure. So right at the beginning when I talked about uh, a blockchain is just a series of blocks of data. Every block has what's called a hash sitting on it. And it's really the unique identifier that uh, prevents you from confusing one blockchain with another. Oh, sorry, one block with another. Uh, I'm not sure how you're specifically using uh, your, your asset tracking chains, but um, and I know, I know this might be a little technical for some folks, but uh, if anybody gets on and tries to alter uh, the hash or the unique identifier, that affects the block it sits on and every block after it, messing with the chain. Uh, so then when everybody in their computer 
is verifying the transactions on the chain, they'll notice that your computer, if you change the hash, all of a sudden your computer's blockchain does not match everybody else's uh, blockchain. So kicks out an error, you are removed from the consensus blockchain, you then have to exit the system, re-get into the system, download a fresh copy. Uh, with Bitcoin, that refreshes every 10 minutes. Uh, I'm not sure how often it refreshes with whatever chain you're using, but and it ranges. But the idea is that someone who's trying to hack your blockchain would have to try to change your hash and 50% of the rest of the chain's other hashes all within a 10-minute period to confuse the chain and reach consensus. If they can't do that, everything reverts to the mean, hackers are behooved, and then you start over. So assuming you're personally invested in some cryptocurrencies, um, can you tell us your top three to five hodls for 2018? <laughs> so I, I personally am not, uh, and by choice, not invested in any cryptocurrency because to be honest, it's, it scares the heck out of me. Uh, you know, the, the volatile movement of it just makes me way too nervous. Now, obviously, if I had invested you know, five years ago, I probably wouldn't be up here giving this talk. I would own the hotel, but... Um, if you're, if you're honestly going to think about investing in cryptocurrency, think uh, less about the popularity of the brand name of the currency or where it's used, and more about the partnerships that that special crypto has entered into. Where is that crypto actually being used? So yeah, a couple people have sold some condos using Bitcoin. Great. Uh, but a currency like Ripple is interfaced and connected with Oracle. So now anybody who owns uh, Oracle software or licenses Oracle software can utilize in a Ripple interface to do blockchain transactions. So that type of stuff is going to be valuable in the long term because then that crypto has more staying power. Now, that's not an endorsement to invest in Ripple, uh, but, I, but I would say that that's the way to approach it. There, there's going to be um, corporate adoption of certain blockchains over the next handful of years in whichever cryptocurrency has the most connection and most leverage to those corporate solutions is likely the one that will have the most staying power and actually have some value. Hi. Uh, hello? Hello? Anyway, I'll say it anyway. Um, one of the concepts you talked about was the elimination of a trusted third party. What is the implication for that in terms of financial institutions and potentially putting major markets like treasuries on blockchain? So banking and securities industries are, I would say, much further ahead of the curve in their investment in blockchain. So whereas in public, Jamie Dimon says, oh, this Bitcoin is a fad, blockchain is worthless, I wouldn't touch it myself. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, JP Morgan is investing millions of dollars to try to you know, combat the coming decentralization of money, as he likes to put it. Um, I think there is potential value to having 
treasury transactions or other debt and equity transactions sit on a blockchain. But I think it's going to be a permissioned chain where the financial institution, the other, the clearinghouse operators, they all still have a say in those transactions today. I don't think you're gonna go from intermediaries to no intermediaries overnight. I think it will take years, if not decades, uh, to see a really robust decentralization and removal of intermediaries. And that applies to real estate too. So you're still going to need title companies until you clean up the data issue nationally. So title companies' records are usually more accurate than government agency <laughs> records. So it, it's, it's gonna take a long time, I guess is my takeaway from that. Kevin. I think. Not working. Be you there? Yep. So you mentioned that a lot of computers are solving the blockchain and that requires a lot of energy. Clearly, there's a great business case for blockchain and real estate speed, quality, accuracy. But what's being done about the energy usage? And I ask because a lot of us in real estate are also responsible for reducing energy usage or corporate sustainability metrics that come One of life's great conundrums. So her question was. Uh, for those in the back that might not have been able to hear, the operation of a blockchain requires a ton of participants operating computers or computer networks. Those spike energy usage, and that is a very large potential problem for corporate sustainability initiatives, uh, trying to make certain buildings LEED certified, uh, reducing energy footprint overall globally. Uh, it's a huge issue, and it's one that's not currently getting a lot of attention. In fact, I would, I would say that uh, computer processing power, uh, energy storage and transmission is going to become a much bigger market than it already is. Um, I think you're already seeing markets go that direction because if we want to get sustainable, we have to rely on energy sources that aren't operating 24-7. So how do we store and transfer the energy? I think that's going to get exacerbated exponentially by the use of blockchain. And if I'm an investor, I, I likely am finding a lot of value in the real estate land that underlies those energy developments because they're going to become even more important in the future. So also not an endorsement to buy that land, but um, just making some guesses. Kevin, back here. Yeah. You talked about the reduced closing cycle yep. with blockchain, but what about, you know, you still got to deal with the financing of the asset. You still got to do, deal with due diligence, intercreditor agreements yep. among lending institutions. If, if there are more than one lending institution on the asset, so how do you get that down in a time frame to six days? So the, the, the promise and my six day figure comes more from the residential side than it does the commercial side. Uh, the hope is to have a more of a national MLS model that involves a lender, 
a broker, a service provider, where all of the land use residential data is sitting in one place so that all you have to have is a smart contract that then facilitates the transfer of title and the transfer of assets and money once proof of funds is verified. That means that those financial lending institutions have to be involved in the blockchain as well. I think the same can be said, but on a more complex scale on the commercial side. I don't know that we can get to six days on a commercial transaction. It's just a lot more complex than a residential one. Mm -hmm. What do you envision as the next step for the most immediate use of the blockchain technology? So her question was, in terms of blockchain technology, what might be the most immediate next steps in the world of real estate? And, and my, my answer would be that it's, it's not customer-facing uh, transaction work. It's likely going to be uh, back office related work. So something that's already been proven in other industries, like uh, intercompany transactions between departments or geographies in the same company, uh, cash reconciliations. So a large company could use a blockchain to facilitate a lot of back-end transaction work to prove out the model, and then you begin to move it to more front-end transactions with partners. Okay. Is, is the big picture like long-term utopia for blockchain image that basically every single thing that each one of us does is on the blockchain and your like entire existence is captured and basically everything is transparent? And then my second question is for the scenarios that you showed in um, Sweden and Rotterdam, do you think there are any specific conditions in those environments? So I'll answer your second question first to buy myself some time on how to handle uh, the science fiction-y portion of this. Um, yes, absolutely. So in both Rotterdam and Sweden, you had uh, forward-thinking government agencies that were willing to make an investment and take a little risk on this new technology to force by regulation or incentivize by regulation the movement of data records onto a blockchain. Once the government agencies were supporting this uh, and the government agencies also were helping fund it, it was easy for private companies to get on board and, and make an investment as well. I think uh, you might have the opposite scenario play out here in the States where a lot of private companies are making investments, they're taking some chances, they're building POCs, and then once some results start appearing, that's when, oh, how convenient, the government agencies will begin to weigh in and say, well, hey, wait a minute, you need to involve us. I think that's the difference. As to your first question, um, yeah, I, I, I think the age of privacy might not be over, but a lot of what we do is just available, either via social media or via, via machine learning. I mean, I will sign on to Google on my work laptop and search for something, and then I pull out my mobile device for work, 
and all of a sudden I'm getting an advertisement for something I just searched for. And it, it like creeps me out for sure, but I th that's the, the world we live in. I think most of the transactions we enter into will begin to be more transparent and we're, we're moving that direction. I'm sure there will be some pushback, the pendulum will swing the other way before it goes all the way. So his question was, where in the real estate world might we start seeing uh, job losses due to blockchain? Uh, I, think, I think, what was it, in the next three years? I don't think you're going to see a lot of impact to people's full-time jobs from blockchain initially. I think the next three years are pilots, proofs of concepts, building out development environments, and testing out the idea of quicker transactions and maybe the decreasing in value of certain third parties. I think you extend that three-year term to maybe five years. Uh, title agents, appraisers, uh, business valuation firms. I think those folks, uh, if they don't lose their jobs, they're going to have to repurpose the way they do business and innovate today in order to prevent themselves from becoming irrelevant. Just, um, uh, I want to be mindful of everyone's times. Um, Kevin will be with us uh, outside for a bit, but if we can take maybe three more questions and um, let everybody go. Sure. Oh. So when we talk about the development of a blockchain, mm -hmm. you know, as you said, JP Morgan is partnering with IBM. It's pretty apparent that you definitely need a strong IT technology firm to initiate that for an organization. Is this based typically on a particular process? Like, is the chain developed on a process of that subject? So there are a number of firms that are helping build out the layers that sit in a blockchain. I would tell you there's not one tried and true process on how to develop a blockchain. There are obviously some, some leading practices on who needs to be involved. And I would say, uh, when you're developing any type of new technology, blockchain, uh, robotic process automation, cognitive AI, machine learning, or any of those new age terms, uh, you likely have a separated organization, like a management office, that includes people from IT, people from business, and then people from vendor partnerships or consultants that would help test that in a development environment before putting it into production. That's pretty common. Sure. So, um, in the question was how, when determining permissions, how important is internet access, Wi-Fi in general? Uh, the the blockchains we've seen implemented, uh, internet access is important. I have not seen. Uh, blockchains that are operating via like Bluetooth connection or something that would not inquire internet. So 
most folks who are operating on a blockchain are using computers that are stationary in nature, server networks, desktops. Uh, when we think about uh, the laptop age that we all live in, um, I think you need to have a critical mass of users that are not necessarily staying put, but that are in a particular place with access to Wi-Fi when, when they're verifying transactions in the blockchain. We Hi, can you hear me? I can. Uh, Louise Matthews, Bacardi Martini, and as Dale said, one of the good things about Bacardi and Martini and uh, Patron is, you know, people will always be drinking uh, tequila and, and uh, rum. So my, he said my job is safe. <laughs> but anyway, my question is the just in terms of can you give us a sense of what the cost and the time is to implement, let's say, a simple data room? Sure. Um, so without giving away all of the secret sauce of how we uh, make our money and develop our projects, I would say a typical proof of concept, pick one process, put it into a development environment, typically takes uh, eight to 12 weeks. Now that doesn't mean you're, you're live, that means you've tested that process in a development environment, so you're seeing whether it works. You've also built the business case for why it's worthwhile. Uh, then implementation beyond that company-wide is usually six to, six to nine months. Uh, and then the cost is really dependent upon how many people are involved in developing that solution. It could be if you have a lot of internal employees that are participating, lending their time, the cost to you is less versus if you have a vendor partner or a consultant doing the lion's share of the work. I wish I could give you real numbers, but I was told specifically I, I'm not allowed to do that. So um, I, we can talk about it offline. Yes. Yeah. So again, uh, Kevin, thank you. Thank you very much My for pleasure. coming. Um, just a couple of housekeeping. Am I am I correct in, in thinking that you have a PDF of or we have do we have hard copies of your presentation? Yes. Yeah, so I can send the PDF version of this to anybody who who would like it. Also. There is a link at the end. I went back a lot. To your I? white paper? Uh, to a number of them. So all of these white papers, there's different topics. You know, how would you actually implement blockchain at your company? Uh, how would you do an initial coin offering? Uh, when does it make sense to do that? When is it not? All of these are publicly available thought leadership that Deloitte has. But your, but your, um, your one specifically on real estate is, is included? Yeah, that is bottom center right there, blockchain right, and commercial Right, so everybody will have access to that. And the one thing that I have to mention, Jamie showed me his phone um, that Goldman Sachs came out today and says that they think all Bitcoin is going to crash to zero at some point. But and that's just, you know, time will tell. Exactly. But anyway, Kevin, thank you so much. And uh, again, Kevin will be with us for a while outside. So please. Thank you.